0: Well, welcome back to our Conversations for Change. This is episode uh, number nine, and I'm excited. We are going international today. Uh, and I'm gonna be joined by a great friend. Let me actually bring her on screen. Yemi. <laughs> it, they do. How do I go with pronouncing the last name?
1: Hunt, very, very well done. Ten <laughs> out of ten.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm calling my own bluff. I said it rather quickly because I seem to be...
1: <laughs> I barely heard it. Well, we'll just say ten out of ten. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yemi and her husband John are amazing people. And a uh, couple of beautiful kiddos. And Yemi was part of our uh, downtown Brooklyn community for how many years?
1: Love it. I was there for what, maybe two
0: years, years?
1: two and a half years, three, three years,
0: something like that and uh, so I'm so excited to have her join us from London and uh, Yemi, why don't we just, why don't you give us a little bit of the Yemi story, a little bit of your background, you and John and uh, we can kind of set up this conversation, I am so grateful that you've taken the time to be part of it today.
1: Speaking about being grateful, Paul, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to do this, but what I'm most grateful for is that I've had the opportunity to have been part of Liberty, um, Liberty Brooklyn, and even Liberty London. I just absolutely love the expression of Christ there. I love the community. It was literally a lifeline for myself, my mother, and my two children when we were in New York. And you will remember when Jaden came up to you, little boy with a British accent, and was like, thank you so much for leaving Australia to make this happen. <laughs> it really did make a difference for us. So thank you so much. Um, so everyone, my name is Yemi Lufadeju, and I was born in Lagos, Nigeria, lived there for the first 16 years of my life. Um, but off and on kind of being in the UK, in London, I left Nigeria, um, in uh, to move to London and I've kind of lived in different cities in London Manchester Hull Bristol different places and so I I can say you know the UK is my home England is my home lived in Wales as well actually Um, but yeah and then moved to New York so I'm married I've got two children Jaden and Janaya and it's one thing I will say having different experiences in different countries is one thing that has been a lifeline for us, has been the body of Christ, has been church, expressed different ways in different cities, in different countries, in different parts of the world. But the body of Christ is body of Christ, you know? So that's a little bit of my background. Um, and yeah, so here I am. (laughs) We've
0: been very grateful for you and we love you kids. And, um, miss everybody in london while we're all still in the midst of lockdown and who knows when we'll all get to fly again but um interesting times right and i'm grateful for you being part of these conversations i think it's really important uh you talked a minute ago about the importance of the body of christ in it all and i think um in the in the current conversations Um, And I think part of today is about talking about how this is not only a U.S. conversation, it's also a a global conversation that the church needs to be having right now around race and equality and discrimination, injustice in in its different forms. Um, Maybe an interesting place to start. As you say, you know, you were in New York for a few years and now you're back in London. You've also uh, lived in Nigeria. You know, Maybe this is a big and broad question and I guess not, and we're all, all of us are only really, really experts on our own experiences I guess, but I would love to hear some of your experiences in terms of what's, what's similar maybe between some of those places and, and maybe what's different um, in places mm-hmm. that you've lived in terms of race or injustice or maybe you can share yeah. some of the experiences that you've had over the years that would help us paint, understand a bigger picture.
1: Sure. I think one thing that's similar across the board is that discrimination is kind of like the illness of the human heart. You know, everywhere you go there's some form of discrimination. I think racism is one form of it. You know, um, we were talking earlier and one thing I've noticed if I were to look at myself from like a worldly perspective and were to take certain boxes, you know, I'd fall under the African black mother um. Christian kind of box and you know Mm -hmm. each one of those groupings you know there's different forms of discrimination you know in Africa for instance being Nigerian you know there's that form of discrimination against Nigerians we don't have a good rep generally you know we're trying to claw it back but there's that and then even within the country there's like ethnic rivalries where people from a particular part of the country are treated in a certain kind of way And then, you know, being in the UK as well, there's different expressions of racism where personally for me, for most part of my life, I've had to explain certain things like, oh, why do you speak the way you speak? Or where did you, I mean, this is a common one most um, Africans would have had. Where did you learn to speak English? English is the first language in Nigeria, but never mind. you know, Um, certain things you need to explain, like, how did you get here? here being you know workplace or you know getting an education at a UK university how did you get in how are you able to survive aren't there poor people in Africa which is another one that I got you know in the US you know being an educated black woman and I don't say that from a position of pride I say that with all humility to say that certain projections people have certain perceptions because of what they see and you can't you know, they can't help it, that's what they know. So because Nigeria is one of the wealthiest, but also one of the poorest countries in Africa, it's fair enough, I get why people ask me that question, but it's not enough to just go based on without, with for people to just rest on what they've been told without them seeking more information, which is why I appreciate this. So that's one thing that has been universal across the board people will discriminate. It's just a human sickness, you know, of the heart where we think we're better than someone else or we feel like people might be of a lesser value than us because of certain privileges we've had. And I think those privileges blind us or they jade our perceptions or our perspectives on reality. So yeah, I think, yeah, that's, what, that's one of the things that I'd kind of settle on for all three phases.
0: Maybe talk to me about some of the, maybe you had different experiences in the US than you had in the UK. I'd be interested in that perspective as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like life in New York was a baptism of fire. It was quite difficult from day one. So just to give people a bit of context, I moved to um, New York um, for work. And um, my husband wasn't able to move with myself and the children at the time. So I had the support of my amazing mother to kind of help me parent the kids while we were in New York. Um, One one interesting thing straight away was that people assumed that I was a single mom of two children because my husband wasn't there. And the very first time people said that to me, and I got that mostly from people, actually it was across the board, but it wasn't necessarily because it was a racial it came a racial thing, but people just assumed because I'm black, that chances are my husband had left me or maybe I had the kids as a teenager. I, I don't know what it is. Not that bad, but people just assumed that I was a single mother. And my husband was just, you know, not in the scene and didn't love his children and didn't support it so I found myself having to explain that um, and trying to say every time I I am married you know I do have you know these kids do have a father Um, but I think again that's something to do with perception you know so dealing with that almost on a daily basis um, first of all it gave me a newfound respect for single mothers um, but then it made me appreciate the church as well because people at church didn't label me as a single mother, but they saw that there was a need for extra support with my children and they rose up and they were there. They loved on me that way. So I appreciate that. But um even in the workplace, you know, you just I feel like in, in, in America, in New York, racism just hits you in the face every day. You know, I've been <laughs> insulted by a, a New York cab driver, gotta love him but um, just, it just rolls off the tongue. Like they just kind of feel that it's okay to talk to you in a, in a particular kind of way um, because of how you appear. You know, several times from JFK going to Brooklyn, the minute I open my mouth and give them my address, they do like a double take, like, what? Like, why do you talk that way kind of thing? Like, this look doesn't match this sound. And I'm like, I'll let you off, it's okay. <laughs> Just get me to Brooklyn, kind of thing, and then even like in Brooklyn, I love Brooklyn, and like just walking down the streets, um, we'd see. I, I call them uncles, the uncles on the street. They just like, what's up, sister? And I'm like, yeah, what's up, brother? Kind of thing. But then, you know, obviously, it it seems like such a random thing for somebody to do. So there's certain things about just the way racism is so alive and real and palpable in New York. that You would never, it's just not the reality in the UK. You know, I've, you know, lived in the UK for, you know, two decades now. Nobody's ever walked up to me and be like, what's up, sister? It's just not, it's just not how people behave. Um, but then that's because racism is not over. But I'll tell you one thing that really kind of smacked me in the face. Like our first few months in um, in New York, myself and a friend of mine who's Caucasian and my son Jaden were walking down the street, and we walked past um, a tube station. A, what are tube station calls again? <laughs> um, uh, subway, a subway station, and this. There were two police officers there. They were both white. And Jaden was so excited to see NYPD, New York's finest, you know, on the street. And of course, like, New York police officers are armed and, you know, they look serious, you know, looking all as they do with sunglasses on. And Jaden was so excited. And he went to them waving, animated, excited. And he was like, hello, hello. First of all, these guys are like, black boy coming up at me you won't believe what they did they reached and they they kind of like braced themselves what they saw was a black boy coming at them and they they kind of braced themselves these guys didn't respond to my son who was like just waving excited to see them saying hello 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 and it's like they did a double take and then my friend and i were like he's only saying hello And then they're like, oh, hi, kind of thing. And Mm. just kind of carried on. And Jaden was a bit deflated after that because we then had to kind of like explain to him in the nicest way possible, seeing police officers doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you could just walk up to them and stuff like that. You need to be a bit careful. Mm. And personally, on reflection, that should have been kind of like the opportunity for me to sit my son down and tell him like, in America it's slightly different. We had, we did think about it, you know, when we were moving to New York and, you know, we thought we'll put certain things in place. We didn't want to be that family that was kind of like, you know, because you're black, you have to be different and all that kind of stuff. We just wanted the kid to be, you know, he, you know, he was six years old at the time. Fast forward two years later, at the school where he was, um, at the time in New York, at the beginning of the term with a new teacher, um, it turns out for like the first few months of school, a teacher had been calling my son a racial slur that I will not repeat. It was even a new one to me. I'd never heard it before. And he wasn't aware of what it meant. He just kind of felt odd that, First of all, he was the only um, child of color. He was the only child of color in his class. And he just felt weird that he was the only person being called that way and being spoken to that way. Um, But never really kind of called it out. He didn't even bring it up with me. So I was oblivious. I had no idea this was going on. Until one day, the principal visited their class. And all the kids were like, actually, sir, we we need to say something to you. There's a particular teacher who's been calling Jaden this, and we don't like it. It doesn't feel right, and we feel it's unacceptable. We need you to do something about it. And then Jaden goes, actually, yeah, that's true. I don't like it. Can you tell him to stop? So for the kids, it was a very matter-of-fact thing, like, this doesn't feel right. None of them knew what it meant, but they were just like, it doesn't feel right, but can you make it stop? Thankfully, the school notified me straight away, and um, they, were very, they, they suspended the teacher immediately and eventually he was he was kind of told to leave the school Mm -hmm. but it hurt it hurt me a lot when I heard I was at work I was literally in tears and I was just like this is one of the reasons why he's in that school and And we're just thinking about all the measures we put in place to avoid things like that and it just dawned on me I can't protect them Mm -hmm. from this You know, And it's one of the reasons, it's one of the things that's kind of been a massive wake-up call for me. I hate that I have to talk to my children about this. This has been decades in the making and we still have to deal with this. I still have to tell my children about this. And I hope that they don't have to talk to their children about why they are devalued or why because they have to work twice as hard to get just as far because of the color of their skin. You know, even for my daughter, in, in, while we were in New York, she, again, the only child of color in her class, only ever saw on a daily basis people with a certain type of color of skin. And then one day, looking at the mirror, she was about five years old at the time, she's like, mommy, I don't like my hair and I don't like my skin. And I'm like, we need to talk. And it just stings it stings the heart a little bit that this is the kind of issue that children have to face and it's their reality Mm -hmm. you know and I feel like it's it's a whole bunch of stuff you know that comes to play and that's why it's one of the reasons why I feel like racism is alive and real everywhere you know Mm -hmm. you have girls in the UK as well that would rather their skin was a lighter shade and their hair was softer and longer and flowy because they've only seen a certain type of thing projected as beautiful and they have no other reference point you know they have nothing affirming their identity so it kind of is a snowball effect to a whole bunch of other things, to where they're seeking these things, identity and affirmation. So it's, it's, it explains a lot to do with the gang culture we've got here in the UK, which um, the, the involvement of girls is underreported, but is huge. Um, and obviously you have a huge number of black people and black young men and boys who are incarcerated, who are involved in gang crime. They're not the only ones, but they're the ones that tend to get caught and locked up. Um, it, It explains a lot to do with poverty and the misrepresentation of ethnic minorities in certain industries and certain sectors. And having been a youth worker myself, you know, seeing a lot of the young people that we've supported and just looking at the cycles of deprivation and poverty that has led to certain things, you see that racism and discrimination is right at the heart of it. So yeah, the, it, it makes my heart heavy to think about my personal experiences but knowing that it's not just limited to just isolated occurrences. We live in environments where things like this are allowed to just thrive. Yeah.
0: It's interesting you mentioned, um, I'm just thinking about some of, the, some of the similarities and some of the differences you said before that, um, Dis- discrimination is part of the human condition, you know, and uh, you know it makes me wonder. From a UK perspective, now, I mean, you shared some of your experiences from living in New York, and obviously, I think the culture and um, not just in the area of uh, uh, injustice or racism is different, but just the culture of New York in diff- is different in in general in a lot of ways than than the UK or, or even London specifically. What do you, you know, what's it like from a UK perspective or a London perspective at this moment, there's kind of an outcry around the world There's some of the specifically events in the US and particularly things like the murder of George Floyd that really sparked protests actually around, around the world in major cities. Um, you know what's it like for you from a UK perspective at this moment as you wrestle with because I, I, I don't know I, I imagine you know I grew up in Australia as you know so and then this is my this is my home now and I'm, a, I'm I've been adopted as a US citizen but I still sometimes have that slightly that the perspective of maybe an ability because it was most of my life to sort of step back and think about things from a different a global perspective and I, I wonder at this moment what's the, what's it like or what's your experience of a UK perspective on these moments and events in terms of how it's helpful to the narrative of um equality or equity in the in the UK you know because I think it might be easy for some in these moments to think like to just make it about the US you know what I mean um and maybe not to address the issues of our heart everywhere um where we could ask questions about how do I see people and how do I value people and What do I believe about identity? How does my faith inform the way that I I value and treat others, you know? Just be interested to hear your your thoughts on, on that from a UK perspective in this moment.
1: It's been, I feel like it's been a massive conversation starter and it's caused a lot of people to reflect and to discuss. And I feel like we're at this stage where people are looking for action because I feel like, And this is based on just conversations that I've had and people will always bring, the the conversation will come up, but I feel like there's a certain uneasiness with the conversation. Uh, And I don't know if that's a British thing where we kind of stiff up a lip, let's move on, get on with it kind of thing. But I feel like people are in the heart space of, we need to see action now. And and I've been involved in conversations about this um, in different ways. But what I've found most useful has been, especially within the body of Christ, going from a place of we pray, we talk, we pray again, but let's actually do something about this. And it's been good to do that because I feel like a lot of the times when things happen, like a few years ago in the UK, there was a massive issue to do with a lot of um, like the stabbing thing where a lot of young boys were stabbing themselves on the streets and you know almost every day there was this stabbing kind of thing you had to do a gang coach, and you know had people on the streets We had mass protests and people were really offended and you know it was a cause to stand up for and this is similar to that as well being a cause that people are really passionate about but ever since then and even now people are like okay so what are what are we doing the church has been asking itself what are we doing and I feel a lot of times when we pray and when we have these conversations, it's been very much based on the narrative the world has given us concerning the situation. But what I feel is different now is that people of faith are actually going back to a place where we're like, actually, what's the kingdom strategy? What the king got to say about this? What's God's heart about racism? Because it's not new. Racism is not a new issue. The early church dealt with it and, you know, millennia before then, it it was an issue, you know, and God was not silent on it. Jesus, we don't need to guess what Jesus would have thought was said, you know, about racial injustice. You know, he he was at, he was hanging out with the Samaritan woman at the well and he just jumped right in there, you know, and he was always that person about unity. And for me, I feel like that's what's different about this. I feel like, we're, we're, we're ready to change the narrative, not just because we're tired about talking about it, but we want, I mean, we need to do things differently. So we need to know, first of all, what are we, what is being said about this, but not what the world is telling us about it. What is God saying about this? What's his heart about this? What's his plan and his strategy for addressing it? So will racism end? Probably not, but should fewer men die? Yes. Should we speak up and hold people accountable when certain things happen? Absolutely. The way I see, and, I, and I've said this to you before, Paul, racism is not just about black versus white because you're not black, but I love you. You're my brother. So it matters to me. And I believe you share the same sentiment. So whether it may be an issue to do it, racial injustice or anything, because it is somebody who the Lord has created and has a heart for. I care and I will speak up and I'll do something about it as I'm led by the Holy Spirit. You know, so that's, that's one thing that I feel is a different shift. Here in the UK, the church, I feel, is doing something from a practical place. The conversation feels like it's died down a little bit because there's fewer headlines um, about it. As than there was prior to during the time of the protests, but I feel like it's still a live issue here. It's still very much um, an ongoing thing. But that's because people are planning, people are doing things, even even at work. You know, a few people I've spoken to, their employers are taking the actions to be more representative um, and more inclusive, and um, to give people that to create a, a sort of environment where it's unacceptable. To, to discriminate, I think it's a good starting point. Um, but I think, again, it's also British, you know, British people just like to get on with it <laughs> kind of thing.
0: Well, it is interesting. I mean, I'm generalizing, and just as an observer of culture, I do think, I wonder if that, you mentioned the stiff, stiff upper lip, and sort of, the, I think the, the British culture, again, this is very broad brush, is more polite and more diplomatic Um, And so that makes me wonder sometimes, you know, when there is discrimination or when there is racism, if it comes in a different form, or if it looks more subtle than overt, you know, in a culture that is more polite.
1: Do you know what it reminds me of um, racism here in the UK? It reminds me of when I was little and I had to get my jabs and my mom would take me to the clinic or whatever, and she'd have a lolly in one hand And then they'd give you that jab in the other. And you're like, ouch, but ooh, this is nice. That's how I feel racism is here. Because you might get kind of penalized on the one hand, but then there's a kind of incentive reward. So there's cause to kind of remain in that system and maintain the status quo. Because while one part of the community may be suffering. Another part is kind of given a leg up a little bit. So it's kind of like, yes, but... So you're, you can't really argue with it with a lot of evidence because it, it feels like it's not there. And it's because those who really feel the pinch of racism, most of them don't feel like they have a stake in society. They are not given a platform to talk about it. They are probably not eloquent enough to or, or articulate or not in a position to articulate what is going on. They're just trapped in the cycle of discrimination and deprivation and kind of just kept behind the scenes. So yes, it's, it's a lot, I have no doubt about it. Racism is, is, is in the UK, but it doesn't clog the wheel and it doesn't kind of, I mean, for it to make headlines, it must, somebody must have kind of not got the memo. Do you know what I mean? So it's, 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 it's there, it's there in establishments, it's there in the workplace, it's there, it's just how the system works. And you know, you can look at it historically, there are certain people who like the Guthers who fought for the UK or, you know, like people from the Caribbean who, who came in to support the system. And you know, when it comes to certain things like immigration or when it comes to certain people propping up the economy, yeah, they're useful but when you know they become a burden on the economy oh send them back to where they've come from and all this kind of thing so there's Mm. certain times that it becomes a cause for concern and people will speak up about it but um Mm. not as often as 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 in the uk for many people they wouldn't necessarily say is their everyday experience but it's definitely lived experience here in the uk
0: Mm so that's in my opinion (laughs) well i appreciate you sharing that i think you know from that global perspective you have different touch points and different you know different lived experiences you know um it's interesting you were talking about i mean it's like a it feels like kind of a both in a part of our conversation is about the importance you talked about speak up speak out um I don't know if you've ever had the experience to, I mean, I know I look back and I think there were times when I shouldn't have been silent, and um, so that's part of the experience. And then getting beyond talk is part of it as well. What, what do you what do you think that looks like? You mentioned you think churches in the UK are beginning to do more. Have you got any thoughts or you know advice? I mean, you you know you know our community too. I, I don't know. What do you what do you see or what do you believe where you're like, wow, I really love that. Or, I love that churches are stepping in and I think conversation's part of it, but it certainly isn't all of it, right?
1: It's not. And it it requires us to kind of stand in front of a mirror and look at ourselves and be ready to address the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, it's not good enough to be like, "Oh, we're not racist. I mean, fine, we're not racist, but are we inclusive? Are we actually reflecting God's heart in terms of, allowing everyone to feel like yes he died for all of us actually whether you speak eloquently or you look decent or you're wealthy or well off or whatever does everybody actually have an opportunity to express christ within the body in the church and i think that's that is something that might be difficult for some congregations to to, to, to kind of embrace what that looks like, you know, I feel within churches at the moment, it's a difficult conversation to have, because they don't want to offend. And I feel like we're gonna have to get past that because addressing issues that break God's heart will be offensive. Mm -hmm. It will be offensive to some. And the way I kind of um, reconcile with that is I'd rather please God and offend man than try and make everybody happy, especially if it's something that he cares about. So when it comes to speaking up and speaking out and you know, one person that I feel like really had his heart on the pulse of this issue was MLK, you know, this man was bold and brave and he just went for the jugular when it came to addressing these things, even to the point of offending people within the church, you know, so I feel like we don't always have to go on a massive crusade, you know, and kind of go with torches and ready to burn down everything that seems wrong all of the time. But we need to be considered. We need to be practical. So look at it from a very kind of break it down. Look at it from youth ministry. How are we supporting our children to understand what this is? How are we kind of bringing this to life in a biblical context? You know, how are we equipping our children to talk about this or to think about this? Are, are youth workers equipped to, do, to deal with this? You know, it's simple things like that. You know, I've seen instances where you know because of a lack of understanding of differences some kids don't feel really engaged because people don't know how to communicate with them so how are we dealing with that and then you have different other subsections of our of our of our churches it women's groups men groups you know couples and all of that let's break it down and see how we can equip people and strengthen them and encourage them to deal with the awkwardness. I feel for a lot of people, is the awkwardness. Nobody wants to offend anybody. But I feel like the solution to that is, let's just start from a place of love. Let's just put our hands up and be like, I'm going to get it wrong. I promise you that. But can you already decide to forgive me before I get it wrong? So when I do, you know that. And then likewise, just to say, if I say something out of ignorance, it's not because I want to offend you. It's genuinely out of ignorance. So let's just clear the air and just have those open, honest conversations so that we can walk together. You know, there's one scripture that has helped me throughout this whole um, season of discrimination, and it's um, Matthew six thirty three, where you know Jesus says, "Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness." Mm. I feel like if we all buy into that. Yeah, okay, Jesus does promise he'll give us everything else. But if we all buy into that seek first his kingdom, we will know that building bridges is a kingdom strategy, is a kingdom objective. We will know that living in unity and in peace is seeking first his righteousness. We will know that it is not okay for somebody else to suffer and we just are cool in our comfort. All of these things are part of the kingdom objective of establishing God's kingdom here on earth. We're called to be solutions. You know, the early church are so incredible. They give me so much inspiration when I think about how rich, poor, upper class, lower class they gather together and they transformed their communities by just being loved. They had no other agenda. You know, so it makes me wonder how do we fire our hearts up again? to really pursue that kingdom agenda. And this is the thing with that. It's not just racism it will deal with. It will deal with poverty. It will deal with every abuse, every other sort of societal issue if we genuinely seek first his kingdom and its righteousness together. You know, so for me, I think that's kind of where we can kind of do more and focus more on.
0: So good. It really is the root of everything it's the it's the the foundation um it's an interesting it's an interesting time navigating these conversations here at the moment because i think even within um church or christian circles things have um understandably but things are so escalated and heightened and it's um it's an interesting time to keep the gospel um the kingdom center of the conversation still
1: yeah. yeah and i think that's the key because god is always speaking to us isn't he
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know and he's not only we need to be careful not to filter his voice through our own kind of mess when he speaks he speaks and he speaks in a way that i mean i don't think god is looking i think oh i only like these black people because they're the ones suffering at the moment they're the only ones i'm going to kind of cover and he's not doing it vice versa as well he's saying truth truth is truth when it's God and there might be things he's saying about this that for me as a black person will make me go ouch but we need to confront that you know and I feel like various people from different other groups ethnic groups may hear certain things that God is actually saying to them as individuals if they'll pause to ask and listen you know, sometimes we go to God in prayer, we're telling him, this is what the situation is. This is how bad it is. We need you to move right now. And for me, I just felt like, I feel like God has just been saying, yeah, calm down, hear me. <laughs> Listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray for, you know, the leaders of this world, that they have a heart shift. Pray for revelation, pray that the people that need to be, that are misrepresented in certain sectors, that they get the wisdom and the confidence to plug themselves in and to obey me while they're there. You know, God is kind of mobilizing his saints who would stop, pray, listen, and act. But I, I hold my hands up. Sometimes I just go to him and I cry my eyes out. It is so messed up. This is why it's messed up. You need to fix it. He's like, are you ready to be a part of the solution? Oftentimes my aunt says no because it's hard but we all have a role to play as part of the solution but I think it requires compromise Mm. on all sides and that's hard
0: well it is hard because it speaks to the heart of something you were talking about maybe it's a good place to land just just before we hit recording we were catching up you you spoke a little bit to identity and maybe that's a good place for us to kind of land in all of this um you know especially as somebody who's a follower of jesus you know where does where does what do you think identity plays into all of this
1: so for me um being a child of god is my identity and it is casual it covers everything it just gives me boldness, and confidence. just to give you a bit of context. I'm the sort of girl that has walked away from jobs because I just felt God saying, drop it, walk away. It's happened about twice and I had nothing to go to, but God caught me. You know, he's such a good father and I didn't suffer or lack incredibly. I can't tell you how. So if at this stage in my life where I know him to just be him and be good, It requires me speaking up and echoing the words that he's placed in my heart. heart. I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. It's what he wants me to do. And I say this knowing that being a child of God doesn't mean that God promises that I would never have problems, never have challenges, probably never suffer. It It doesn't say that he's never promised me that, but he promised he'll never leave me. Whatever that looks like. So I might have to struggle, yes. Even if I die, I die. <laughs> you know, that's what Esther said. But it's the right thing to do. As a child of God, what I've come to realize is that I cannot hold my life too tight because to do that is to lose it. Mm-hmm. And that for me is a hard realization, but it's true. So I always ask myself, what matters more? My comfort here on earth, my doing well, being comfortable, getting by in my career and as a mom and all of that in ministry, or actually pleasing the father. That was why I was created. He is my father and he loves me beyond anything that my heart can fully comprehend. He's paid a sacrifice for me to be. And as my father, he's involved me in the family business of establishing his kingdom here on earth. And he's put a seat at the table. He's said, "Yemen, sit here this is what you do as my child, whatever that looks like. Sometimes I question it. Sometimes I don't get it. But do I do it? I have to. So when it comes to issues of discrimination or not, or poverty, I have to be the child of my father, whatever that looks like. And for him right now, as far as I'm concerned, establishing his kingdom is the most important thing, whatever that looks like. So identity I'm a child of God so people might think oh she's black she's African she's a wife she's a mother whatever that's their definition of me I choose to live by a different narrative where child of God is okay and it's enough so knowing that gives me life (laughs) and it helps me to take life as it comes from a position of strength and courage And with people like you, that when I fail and when I'm scared, you know, it's like this community, church community, it holds me up. It builds me up. I know we need to round up, but I need to remind you about something. When I first joined Liberty, you were preaching the Nehemiah series, Rise Up and Build. Do you remember it? So powerful, so impactful. And that's what this season is, where we lock arms together, regardless of what we look like. We're armed with the word. We hold hands together and we rise up and build. We build the kingdom of God, even here on earth.
0: That's a powerful picture. I hadn't thought of it in this context, but um, for everybody watching, what Yemi's referring to is when Nehemiah, you know, cast the vision to the people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem after all those years in exile, and it had been broken down for 70 years or more. And the people responded, let us rise up and build. And then the scripture says, and they put their hand to this good work. And yeah. there is that sense at the moment, I think, um, that this is the collective moment for us to say, let's let's build. And that is a together thing. There's a united thing um, in that. And it is, it's a good work to put our hand to um, at this moment. Maybe I could have you close us by you know, praying this over us. You said so many profound things and I'm so grateful for, um, And I think about, um, speaking out and not being silent, but searching our own heart, you know, assessing the foundations of our own identity and what is it that we're seeking? Is it the kingdom or is it, is it something else? Um, uh, so there's a, there's a lot, um, that's in what you've just shared. And I think it would be, I would just maybe appreciate if you would pray some of that, um, over all of us, that sense of, uh, grounding uh in who we are whose we are um which i think is is something for all of us to strengthen at this moment for the moment that we're living in you know
1: yeah yeah absolutely um father thank you because you have made it clear that for those who love you and those who choose you there is therefore no condemnation so if there be anything father lord jesus in that space that is pulling us away from embracing and confronting the truth of who we are in Christ Jesus, that I ask that you remove it. I pray for boldness of heart to approach the th- throne of grace, knowing that you, Lord Jesus, sit on the right-hand side of God, interceding on our behalf, because we need you to be our intercessor at this time. So that we know when to speak, when to move, where to go, and how to be like you against all odds. And Daddy, there are many. There are many odds stacked up against us. So I ask, Father Lord Jesus, that you help us every step of the way. That you reveal truth to us in an undeniable way. I pray heavily, Father Lord Jesus, that you strengthen us through the Holy Spirit in all our weaknesses. I pray for grace. Grace that covers and grace that empowers. That we extend grace to each other, Lord Jesus, just as much as we want to receive it. I pray that it echoing your words, Lord Jesus, in John 17, where you say, Let us be united, let the body of Christ be united, just as you are with your Heavenly Father. We could do a heaps of that even in this moment, oh God. And that you just bridge the divide so that we can be one with you. I pray for love. To be established in everywhere the church is is. is Father Lord, establish love, establish genuinely true, genuine true love in our hearts, oh God, that we may glorify you. In Jesus' name. Mm. Amen.
0: Amen. I'm so grateful for you taking the time, being willing to have the conversation. As you said, these are sometimes uncomfortable conversations but it's um, fruit you know for the sake of others and in our own lives I know for me I'm growing as I have these conversations I'm learning as I hear people's stories and your family is very loved um, John's amazing your kids I still remember you know Jaden walked up to me that one time I think I was about to preach and worship was ending in yeah cute little British accent. He's like, "Thank you for moving from Australia yeah. to New York to start Liberty Church." I was like, "That might be one of the nicest things anybody's <laughs> ever said to me." <laughs> Jaden so, all over. We, yeah, do, we
1: do appreciate you and Andy the sacrifice great. you made.
0: Well, it's okay, and and we're grateful in it together, family, even across oceans and whatever. So, thank you for Definitely. being part of it today. I'm I'm so grateful. Thank
1: you for the opportunity. Thank yeah. you.